Hello and welcome back to another Manchester United podcast. I'm Sam Mazian. Helen are primed and ready to go. First up, Helen, can we get an update on the pigeon situation? I don't want to disappoint anyone. The first few days were good. Not many pigeons. I think they've now realised that the falcon isn't real, if I'm totally honest. You mean need to get another one up there? There's been a few more, a few more in the garden. I have asked Johnny to go up and move it to try and trick them again, but he's not getting up on that roof again. Why don't you buy a cat, not a real cat, just to see if that works? How many fake animals can I have in my garden to scare away pigeons? Yeah, you oh. got a, 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 it could be a whole theme. You could get a whole theme going. So yeah. fake animals in your garden. <laughs> a couple of sheep. But listen, I don't think there's as many, if I'm totally honest, but they're starting to feature a little bit more in the garden. I've got crawls in my garden, in the tree, and it's doing my head in. And we heard them in the last podcast. Oh. Listen, it's just a pity we weren't doing these in real life. I could have given you one of my falcons to borrow. Yeah, I do. I need one. I need something. This is sort of a bit <laughs> surreal. Yeah, let's move on. Two of you chatting about needing falcons <laughs> in your garden. Do you know what I would like to know? Anybody who has followed suit and had problems with pigeons... Could maybe email in and let me know because I bet you I've helped a few people who have thought I've got a problem with pigeons. <laughs> I'm going to do what Helen did and buy a fake falcon. Just it sounds like you've only helped them for a couple of days. Just yeah, no. Just as I have this conversation, there's one flipping pigeon walking along my grass. Of course there is. Anyway, uh, Maisie, how you doing? I'm good. All good. Golf is back. Golf is back, and three and four balls are back. So absolutely delighted. Great to be back out on the course. I have missed it. And uh, we had a lot of fun with you last week because you left your audio on and we, we got all the bits. And then the next time around, you just forgot to record at all. I know. I, I, was, I was trying to help Tasker out. I was super producer, not. But say that is the first time I've ever heard you compliment him. And then you put a not in. Just making his life more difficult by forgetting to record. <laughs> yeah. On today's guest, <laughs> on today's guest then, guys, uh, somebody that, Maisie, you've always had a really great relationship yeah. with over the years. Of course, it is. Ben Thornley. Quite a sad, sad story. Um, a lot of people yeah. will have read his book and know his story, but listening to Ben tell the story, uh, I'm sure it'll be quite different. It will. I think it always comes across different when you're actually speaking to the, the player that's obviously had the injury, but Ben is probably one of the nicest lads you could ever meet. And mm -hmm. he's such a, a lovable lad. You know, we spent time with him, Sam, and you know, going to Kazakhstan on the uh, yep. Trans-Siberian Railway for four days and you know exactly what he's like. He's a lovely guy. Yeah, he's so much fun to be around. Yeah, always laughing, always up for up for um, jokes and stuff. And, uh, you know, to have your career, not totally caught by an injury, but have a have a huge impact on your career. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's, it's, it must be the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure he'll tell you through the next hour and a half or so. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the highs and the lows of it all. Well, for anybody who's not sure of the story, Ben was a highly rated winger in United's youth ranks. He was part of the class of 92, which won the FA Youth Cup. Uh, he was highly regarded by Sir Alex Ferguson and began making strides into the first team, however. And this is maybe where the story takes um, the sad turn. A reckless tackle in a reserve game left Ben with a serious injury that he never really recovered from. He did go on to have a career, um, but not maybe at the heights that he had the potential to. Uh, plenty of clubs did follow for Ben, but not Manchester United and not uh, the highs that his classmates of 92 uh, reached. It must have been quite a difficult thing for him to go on and watch those teammates. For example, in 1999, Maisie, they had 
many, many success. But, you know, yeah. occasions like that must have been so difficult for him. It'll be interesting to hear whether he found that difficult to watch moments like that later on in his career, thinking I probably should have been part of that. Yeah, I, I often wonder that. Even even today, not even about 99, but even today, you know, when you look back at his, his career and when you, when you were players in the game like Robbo and uh, Sir Alex, you know, Nobby Styles. Um, when you get people like that actually telling you how good a player you could be, I wonder how many times he regrets not coming off the pitch at that time when Jim Ryan asked, are you okay? Do you want to carry on? And he said, yes. How many times my last go through is that? I don't know. But 99, yeah. It, I mean, he must have been very proud of the lads, obviously, because he's, they're all his teammates and he's still very, very close to them now. Mm. But um, I think it's always going to be what if. Mm. I saw a quote doing the research for this from his brother Rod, who said that after that tackle, he was never quite the same happy-go-lucky sort of fella he was, which I find extraordinary because I think of Ben as being such a happy person. Yeah, well... Your family know you best in those situations, don't they? Exactly, yeah. That's it, and that's what that's what Ben said in response, is, well, your family know those know those things about you better, but... He- I mean, it, it, it comes across now, obviously, you see him and he's, he's laughing and he's joking, but I suppose in, in that, that season, it must have been so, so dark for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we should hear from the man himself, shall we? Let's get to it. Here's Ben Thornley. Our guest today is a former Manchester United player, a published author, but above all that, he got Ryan Giggs on the podcast. (laughs) What an introduction. Cheers, Ben. Welcome to the pod, Ben Thornley. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Helen. Lovely to see you all. Good. Lovely to see you too. You too, Ben. Uh, Also, should say, actually, this is the second time that Ben has been technically done this because we Ben and I made the first pilot for the Man United podcast yeah we did so it's been a long time in coming Sam yeah yeah it has been I've been looking for you every week it didn't make it though did it no it didn't make it because Maisie and <laughs> yeah. I weren't in it <laughs> can't remember that you weren't there Maisie we weren't included Maisie alright oh, <laughs> I thought I did the first one that's what you were told <laughs> Ben before lockdown Rod came to our house basically John and I were doing a clear out of the garage so I just started getting rid of a load of stuff I've had a bike for like six years. I've literally went on it on the street once, a really good bike. I said to Johnny, I'm just going to give that to Rod. Like he went home with a car full of stuff. So I give him the bike. This is two weeks before lockdown. What a mistake that was. You can't buy a bike for six months now. Helen, I bought it off him. <laughs> he got given it for free and he sold it to you. The white bike. I, I said, Rod, are you going to use that bike? And he went, how much did you pay for it? I'll give him 100 quid for it. What? Oh, we've got to have this story. Have this story in it. I haven't actually got it here. It's it's up uh, waiting <laughs> up at my mum and dad's for me to bring it down. But I, I'm the same as you. I haven't I, I've haven't got the I haven't got it with me. But yeah, well, neither did I. I bought it off him. I it oh off him. Yeah, why is he selling you stuff he's got for free? That is absolutely that's brilliant. This is extraordinary. Have you tried it out? Yeah, it's brilliant. I know, it's a really good bike. I, I bet it was. How much did you pay for the bike? Oh, flip, I, don't, I honestly don't have a clue, but I know that it was a good one. And then literally, this is like, well, must be about five years ago, but I went up and down the street on it once, never went on again, thought it was great getting a bike. And then I just thought, Johnny, we're not going to use that bike, doing a clear out of the garage, you know what I mean? Before lockdown, that's what you do, because I knew lockdown was looming so I thought I want to have a clear out and get a skip and then I was like just give that to Rod but now I want to buy a bike don't I 
Don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm not don't want it back. Ben Salimon, 150 quid. <laughs> <laughs> because Lottie's just learned to ride a bike and we were like, it'd be so nice to be able to go out and bike rides with her, but you can't buy a bike for months. feel really bad now. Don't feel bad. Don't be so silly. <laughs> it was a hybrid bike, that's all I remember, but it's quite nice. Oh, it is. It's a lovely bike. I can't believe he sold it to you. Yeah, lovely bike. That's brilliant. How funny is that? <laughs> so you've actually got my bike... A little basket on the front. Oh my word, that's so funny. I think one thing we should probably cover straight away before we get into into your life, Ben, and everything, is that, of course, you two know each other exceptionally well and not just from Manchester United. Obviously, you played together at Bake Up Borough and stuff like that. So you've known each other a very long time. Yeah, we have. Too long, too long. <laughs> Obviously, Maisie, Maisie came to the club in, was it 95, Maisie? 94, 95, mate, yeah. Yeah, and um, and everybody took to him straight away, and me included. And uh, and yeah, we've we we just hit it off, and we've had banter wherever we've been since. And obviously, we did play together for a short space of time at Baycup Borough uh, once we'd gone our separate ways after leaving Man United. And then we've uh, we've done a ton of stuff together since, and and we're still doing it now. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, a lot of time for Ben. I thought uh, Sam that you were going to bring up when you said I need to clear something up. You're going to bring up Ben's curtains because <laughs> he is sporting a lovely pair of curtains. Unbelievable, Helena. A lockdown hairdo. Very much a lockdown hairdo. I'm actually pleased that I've I've got some to be able to do it with, but I never thought I'd see the uh, the 21 year old curtains coming back in. Uh, I don't think they'll make it into the fashion trend by any. <laughs> Listen, Ben. Can't wait to get the clippers on him. You just never know who ends up being a fashion icon these days. He's got 20, 21 inch flares underneath there. <laughs> I did see a quote from Ryan Giggs that said when he looks back at old pictures and stuff. When Giggs he does. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he's, you know, he, he's uh, one person that's always been very critical of my dress sense. But uh, I remember seeing some of the things that, that he wore in the early days as well. So he shouldn't really be, uh, be casting too many stones. Don't worry, Ben, we love them. <laughs> we love the curtains. Bring back the curtains. That's what I say. Sam's going to be next. <laughs> Yeah, but have you seen his gear? Well, like the suit he wore to Huddersfield. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember waiting near the trucks outside, near the TV trucks outside, and uh, and Quinton Fortune and Wes Brown were, were doing something on that day as well. And I, all Quinny didn't even say hello to me. He just broke out into fits of laughter and pointed and just said, what on earth is that? And he was crying. I don't think that's going to hit it off either with the fashion sense, but... It was something a little bit different. But do you remember when the game finished, we did the post-match show on the pitch at Huddersfield. For those that obviously are listening, you can probably probably Google Ben Thornley Huddersfield suit and it will come up. But it was the loudest <laughs> suit I've ever seen on a really overcast grey day. So it didn't go. Um, no, it didn't and go. We did the, it didn't go. We did the post-match show on uh, on the pitch at Huddersfield. And as the as Manchester United's first-team squad left their dressing room to head to the coach, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer walked past, stopped, pointed, laughed. I don't think he was the only one. He wasn't the only one, but he was. Uh, he didn't try and hide it, unlike other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only problem with the Uddersfields ground. They have to walk down the side of the pitch to to get back out. So everybody had a had a good old stare at, at what the hell I was wearing. But hey, listen, like you said, Sam, it was it wasn't a particularly nice day. So I just thought I'd try and brighten it up for people. I love that. I love that, Ben. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, ben, firstly, do you listen to podcasts and do you listen to ours? Secondly. I have listened to a couple. I must admit, I'm not um, I'm not a, a big follower of podcasts, but I think that in the situation that we've all found ourselves in, then you know certain areas of uh, of 
providing a little bit of light-hearted relief. So, uh, so yeah, I have listened to a couple. Good. So you know the drill. I know the drill. So let's start at the start then for you. Back to your childhood. Happy childhood for you. I think you've got a brother and a sister. Is that correct? I have, yeah. A brother and a sister, both younger. Uh, brother, obviously, you know, spent a lot of time working at the club in uh, in a masseur capacity. Came from quite a, well, when I say sporting family, my brother also played football and, uh, and my sister played netball. My mum and dad, uh, although weren't sporty themselves, were always extremely supportive and we've always come from from quite a close knit family, and uh, and they they never let us go without, and you know we weren't uh, we weren't blessed with with fortunes and what have you, but they uh, they did exactly what they could to to enable us to to um, to try and fulfil our dreams, and obviously mine was was to play for football for Manchester United. You never think at that time that anything's going to come of it, but you know as time evolves, you you, you do get a, a little bit of a hint that that you might have half a chance. And was it always United for you and your family? It was, yeah. Um, we haven't, you know, there's nobody else that I can recall in my family that supported anybody any differently. My dad went to went to his first game um, just after the, the Munich Air disaster and it's always been Manchester United for me, even though I did have a spell before I joined at, at Man United across the town at, at Man City in their, mm. uh, in their little academy that they had on a Thursday evening. So, uh, But Manchester United, as soon as they came calling, it, it was a no-brainer for me. Growing up, Ben, was you always like the best in best in your year at school? Or yeah, I, I think you know, sort of right from the start, I got I got picked because obviously when you when you're playing in uh, in your junior school, uh, they don't have like they do now where they have one team for each age group. Yeah. You sort of play with uh, as a seven year old, which is what I was at the time, uh, with ten and eleven year olds who were the guys that were leaving to go to senior school. So uh, my PE teacher gave me. Uh, Gave me my my first game when I was sort of seven. That was my first ever competitive game. I think from then on in, it, it was a case of you know we didn't have many great footballers in our school, and I wouldn't have had to have been that great to be the best, to be honest with you. But I, I just I just had a passion for it when I was a kid. You know, you don't really see it these days, which is a little bit sad because of the introduction of social media and playstations and all that. But we didn't have that when we were growing up. The only thing we wanted to to do when when the school holidays came about were were to be outside and and I wanted to be outside kicking a ball, whether it was by myself or, you know, seeing if I could go and join in with people over the backfields or whatever. That was that was the only thing that I ever wanted to do was to was to kick a ball. Presumably you didn't have to buy yourself much because you had your brother. Yeah, but at that time my brother was only sort of four or five and he, he oh, you know, rubbish. He They're useless, yeah. aren't they? At that age. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. What's the age difference between you and Rod? I was born in 75 and he uh, was uh, 77. So there's two and a half years. I was the April, he was the August. Right. What about Anna? She's a year younger still. She was 70, December 78. You could have put them both in goal. Yeah, well, that's what I used to do to my brother. I, <laughs> I used to stitch him right up and say, was he coming in the back garden to play football? And I'd just stick him in goal. Well, your brother's a fool. Where his passion, where his passion for football came, I don't know because I must have felt it right out of him. <laughs> and sisters too. My brothers used to do that to me. Yeah. Hence why I ended up liking football. Used to put me in goal. <laughs> I was about three. <laughs> was it any good? Not bad. Like decent touch. <laughs> and when you were at City, did you ever cross paths with Ryan Giggs? I didn't know. I knew that he was there, but I think um, in the short time that I was there, he'd already severed his ties with City and. And gone across to Man United, so no, I, I didn't. I didn't see Ryan there. I, I actually didn't even know he was there because I think I was about twelve at the time, 
and I'd only just started Sunday League football. And of course, you know, Ryan played in in Sunday League as well when he was growing up. And it was only after that that I came up against him and and somebody told me that he used to be at City and actually asked me the same question, Sam. But no, I didn't see him there. He'd already made the move. So when did you get your move to United? How did that all come about to begin with? As people, you know, sort of may or may not know, uh, I... I Got picked. I was the captain of the. Uh, I was the captain of Sofa Boys. See you, Maisie. Sorry, Maisie. For anybody who is listening, has just dropped his iPad into me boiled egg. Yeah. <laughs> I was the captain of Sofa Boys at under fourteen and under fifteen level, but Ryan was already the captain the year older, and we played down the uh, down the road from the old training ground at the Cliff um, on Lower Broughton Road. That was our home pitch. So of course, it was very very easy for you know, some of the, the the people connected with Manchester United scouts, etc., just to have a, a saunter down on a on a Saturday morning to watch us play. And there was one particular evening, it was a it was a Friday night, it was a night before a Sulphur Boys game. And I always used to uh, a mate of mine from school, we used to take it swap it in turns to stay at each other's houses on a Friday night when school had finished. And it was my turn to go to his house anyway. My dad said to me, listen, you can't go out tonight. Um, if Jeff wants to stay with you tonight, that's absolutely fine. I'll stay here, but you can't go out. And I thought it was a bit strange because my parents weren't strict. You know, I, I didn't misbehave as a kid, but my parents weren't strict. And for him to tell me that I couldn't do something without any sort of proper reasoning was a bit strange. Anyway, we, we had our meal, we, we finished it, and we were just walking through the front room and the front doorbell goes. And my dad said, do you want to go and see who that is? And I thought, the front door, nobody comes to our front door. In the, old, in the house that I used to live in with my mum and dad, it was such an informal house that everybody used to just come round the back, knock on the back door and walk straight in. So to use the front door, it had to be pretty official. So I opened the door and standing in front of me was Sir Alex Ferguson and Brian Kidd. And it, it was like, it, I had to sort of rub my eyes. I thought, is this a dream? And my mum and dad were then standing in the hallway behind me and I turned round and I, I just didn't know what to do. Well, First and foremost, I opened the door. <laughs> I only opened one door. Start. The second one yet, yeah. and um, and of course, I'm I'm greeted by Sir Alex Ferguson, and uh, and the whole ensuing chat was, you know, they wanted to uh, to take me back from Manchester City, and 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 wanted at that point, then even when I was only fourteen, to offer me schoolboy forms and uh, a, a two year uh, apprenticeship, plus even at that age, a, a two year professional contract, which is pretty unheard of, or was at that time. I think there was only myself and, and David Beckham that were that were offered that. I sort of know why they gave him his. I'm not quite sure why he stuck with mine. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that was how it came about. It was um, it was surreal to to see the manager of Manchester United standing on your front doorstep, and then you know listening to the chat with my mum and dad how much he he wanted me to to be a part of the club, and I've never looked back since. What did he say to you? He didn't really say much to me, Helen. He just asked me, you know, how I was and, and how things were going at school, etc. But I think he, he just wanted to... He, he, I think he just wanted to, to weigh up my mum and dad to see, mm. you know, what sort of size I was going to be, what sort of a person I was, what sort of a family background I came from. Um, obviously, he didn't do it with everybody, so I know that I feel quite privileged. But the, the real chat was, was with my mum and dad, and the only thing they needed to ask me was, you know, if you've listened to all that, what do you think? And uh, obviously, I, uh, I I jumped at the chance. What did you think when you closed the door on them and you went turned back round to go in the living room? Was you like jumping around like a lunatic? My mate who was staying with me was a City fan, <laughs> so 
he couldn't really he couldn't really have cared less that Sir Alex Ferguson was. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it took a while to sink in. First and foremost, that he'd just been there, and secondly, that that he uh, he wanted me to join Manchester United, which, as I've already stated, was something that you know, having grown up watching Brian Robson playing for United and and scoring the goal in the '82 World Cup against France after what 27 seconds, that was the only thing I ever wanted to do. And, uh, and to be given the chance to go to Manchester United and then to share a building and a training pitch with the person that I've, that got me into football and made me want to be a footballer was uh, was just, you know, out of this world for me. Did your mum get the fine bone Salford cut- cutlery out? You know, the cup of teas and all that and biscuits are... Yeah, it was tea and biscuits, yeah. It was tea and biscuits. She couldn't offer him any food because we'd already eaten, but it was, it was tea and biscuits, definitely, yeah, the... the all the, like you say, the fine cutlery came out. She wanted to make a good impression because obviously they knew that what was what was going on. But I, I was absolutely clueless. You style the biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> not then, not then. At this point, you you were you played left wing right, but you were right footed, which now is fairly common because you you're out on the wing, so you can cut in towards goal. But at the time, was was that the case? Um, no. It wasn't. I don't think football was. I mean, it's evolved so much since you know going back what 25, 30 years that um, that if you were left-footed, you played at left back or you played at left wing, and you know vice versa if you were if. But I got very quickly. One of the first things I ever remember about about playing football in the alleyway or in the street with my dad was him saying, "You need to learn to kick with both feet." That from a very very early age, he encouraged me to to whichever one he thought was my strongest foot, which was my right, to really practice with with the opposite one. And I think if you are giving any, you know, sort of basic teachings of football to a kid starting out, they're being able to kick with both feet. You look at somebody like Mason Greenwood, I always judged a footballer by what foot he was with what foot he would take a penalty with. And I think that's pretty solid form. But Mason Greenwood can do it with both <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first time I've ever seen that quite comfortably. But most people, Dennis Irwin, for example, absolutely sensational left. We all know he was right-footed because of the penalties and the free kits that he took for, for Manchester United so well. But you see more regularly now that, you know, you play on the opposite side, you have a foot that you're strongest with and you play on the opposite side so you can cut in and, and maybe have a strike on goal. But I was, um, I was a decent crosser at the ball with either foot. And, uh, and it, it didn't bother me being right-footed, but playing on the left-hand side, I was quite comfortable with both. <laughs> you okay, pal? Sorry. Bit of egg gone down the wrong way. You laughed so much when you dropped your iPad on your eggs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got egg all over me, iPad at the top. You done coughing? I've got coffee, yeah. Want coffee? No, you're done coughing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I've got me coffee, yeah. <laughs> oh, <for laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Ben, when did the moment come when you went to the academy and you first came across some of your uh, famous 92 classmates who at the time obviously were similar age to you? But when when did you first meet them around the training ground? Over a period of time when, you know, after the, the chat with Sir Alex and I moved across to, to, to Manchester United, we always had meetups in uh, Easter time in the summer holidays. I used to go and... and and do the evening training. So I, I came across the likes of Gary Neville and Paul Scholes and Nicky Butt at those, uh, as well as, you know, playing against them on a regular basis for, for say, town teams and stuff like that when I was at Sofa Boys. 
Uh, but then you used to get, you know, Bex coming up from London. You used to get Keith Gillespie coming over from Northern Ireland, Robbie Savage up from Wales, who couldn't, you know, obviously couldn't be at the evening training week in, week out. So even though the boys that travelled up were, were still staying in digs, we still all met up and, and we all played in, in matches together against, you know, teams from other academies. But it wasn't until we actually joined on a regular basis when we were all 16 and we went over to, to Northern Ireland to play in uh, in the Milk Cup that I, I thought that, you know, even though these lads are very, very good players, I think as a team, I, I felt that something special was going to come out of it. Even that early then? Yeah, I think, you know, everybody points, Maisie, to the, you know, the, the first time we won, that Manchester United had won the Youth Cup since the Busby Babes when we won it in 92. But the, the indication for me, like I said, was after we'd, we'd finished our, our, our month of pre-season in the, in the July, and then right at the end of that month, we went and played in the Milk Cup and we won it and beat some very, very good teams along the way, including Liverpool. So that was the indication for me. And, and I thought, yeah, you know, th- this team have, have really got something. I knew that they were good players. Like I said, Scolzi, Nicky Book, as I played against them, you know, every other week, if you like. But the rest of the lads really added to it with, you know, with Bex and Keith. And obviously Giggs, he could still play in that team as well, even though he was a year above. And it, it was something that I thought, yeah, this is... Uh, whether we were capable of winning the, the, the national competition, I'm only talking about the start, you know, the very, very start. But we've won something. And that was that's what I remember was going to that Northern Ireland Milk Cup and winning that. And then as the season progressed, you could see that the manager and Eric Harrison wanted to try and keep the nucleus of the youth team together whenever they could on a Saturday. And the more we went into the competition, the more we felt we were capable of winning it. And obviously we duly did and should have won it in the second year as well. Ben, no false modesties here, right? Yeah. You played against those players a lot. You played with them a lot. Like Gary Neville has said, he noticed how high the level was and thought, well, if this is the level, I'm going to have to work a lot harder. Did you find it easy? Did you think, yeah, this is about right. This is my standard. Did you ever have games where you'd come up against people and think, God, oh, I'm never going to make it at this level? Or in fact, yeah, did you just go, yeah, great, this is about right and just just ran it? Do you know what? I, I think, Sam, for, for the first couple of years that I was I was playing in the youth team, nothing really fazed me. You know, the, 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 the one thing I wanted to do when I... When I a match kicked off was get the ball as early as possible so that I could see what the fullback was like. I mean, yeah, there will have been occasions undoubtedly where I was going to come up against players that were, you know, that were much better and much, much tougher to get past than others. But I, I felt as though for the first couple of years that I was there for definite, um, there wasn't really anything or anybody that, that phased me when I was playing, when, when whoever I was coming up against. Um, and yeah, Gaz, Gaz does go on record and say that because he, he did realise that he needed to work at some of the things because he knew that he didn't have as much raw talent as some of the others. And he, but he made up for it in, in massively in, in other ways and obviously went on to become a, a fantastic player and a great servant to, to both Man United and his country. So there were players that realised. Scolzi was another one that after the first year, he realised that there was a, a level that, you know, that he needed to get to. And in the space of a couple of months of us going away and then coming back for the following year, Scolzi was was just sensational and, and what a transformation in a player. When did you believe that you would always make it into the first team? Did the likes of Eric Harrison or Sir Alex give you that belief at a young age? Oh, for definite. I think they gave they gave everybody that belief. I think that with the with the talent that they knew that they had in that team, 
And not only that, but they knew that the, the backgrounds that the boys came from, they knew that they were from great stock. They knew that they were going to get lads that were going to listen, that were willing to learn, that were going to put the hard work in. Um, and I think, Helen, when you've got a recipe like that with the talent that those lads had, I, I think that we all felt as though at some stage or another we were going to get given a chance. And that duly happened. It didn't all happen together. Uh, you know, I made my debut at West Ham in 1994 and there wasn't any of those other boys with me. And, you know, some of the other lads that did it, they will say the same, that, they, you know, they were on their own. But I think Sir Alex did that because he wanted to, to see how we would, we would handle the occasion without our regular teammates with us and to see what, you know, what sort of stuff we were made of. We could do it in the youth team, but this was now a progression of could we do it in the first team? And I, I always feel as though whichever club anybody is ever at, whether it's Manchester United or whether it's a Rochdale or an Oldham or wherever it is. And that's no disrespect to those clubs. But I always feel as though if you get into 18-19 and you still haven't made your debut, then it might be time to think that you, you might need to move on to, to somewhere new. But most of us in that, in that, in that class of 92 had made our debuts in, into our teens. And, and obviously, they, uh, the, the lads that we all know about not just made the debuts, but but gave Sir Alex a headache with with players that he needed to get rid of in order to incorporate these lads into the team because they were proving good enough. Ben, um, obviously I know a lot about Eric Harrison, but what was he like to you or with you with the uh, with, you know with the other lads in the squad? What sort of father figure was was he? He was he was fantastic. I mean, don't get me wrong, Maisie, he was tough, and there were times when you knew that he wasn't happy and he let you know. A little bit like Sir Alex, for me, they were cut from the same cloth. They were two peas in a pod with the way that they, they wanted the, the young lads to, to behave and to act and to, and to learn and listen. And he ruled with an iron fist, but he was extremely fair. And he would always pull you to one side on a Monday after a game on a Saturday, um, on a Monday afternoon, we would always go in the gym and do a weight session. And he would use that as a tool to go around each individual person and, and just while they were doing the, their individual weight sessions, just have five minutes with them on how well they played at the weekend and, and how he was be looking to, to improve even further still. All the things, and at that age, there were more things that we did wrong than we did right because we were still learning. And this was, and no matter whether he'd had a rollicking on a Saturday and he could give them out and he's come out with some absolute pearlers, I can assure you, some real funny... Uh, Funny quotes that we we a lot of us will still remember to this day. Go on then. Uh, well, I remember I remember playing uh, um, in an eighteen game at Bolton, and the pitch was an absolute quagmire. And we played at Horwich RMI. I don't know if you ever played there, Maisie. But yeah, yeah. There's a slope like that that dips about eleven feet, but the pitch was an, an absolute mess. And uh, and Sammy Lee was actually playing for Bolton still then, so that's how how long ago it was. And, um, and this pitch was a quagmire. And we had Simon Davis, who at the time was our youth team captain. Uh, and we had him playing in the centre of the park with Nicky Butt. And halfway through the second half, we're wearing white shorts and white socks. And Simon Davis's white shorts and white socks were absolutely pristine on this quagmire <laughs> pitch. And, and Simon Davis's nickname was Shaker, Shaker. Yeah, Shaker, yeah. All, all I heard at one stage was Eric Harrison screaming on, saying, Shaky, Shaky, you're centre midfielder on a all of a pitch. You look like a good advert for Purcell. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, it, it, and this just resounded around Orange Jaramai's pitch. And it was, um, and it was, 
quotes like that that um, that even though you 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 really really didn't want to laugh, um, you just couldn't help but but, but remember them. <laughs> such classics. But the one thing that I loved about Eric was that he would give you a rollicking on a Saturday. And on a Monday morning, it was a clean slate. You started again. He didn't, you know, he didn't hold anything against you. He always used the next game as a tool for to try and put any any wrongs right. And he obviously pushed for all of us to get in, you know, into the reserves, yeah. the first team as quickly as possible. Um, and you know, God rest him, he's not here anymore, Eric. But all the lads will tell you what a fantastic guy he was and what a fantastic influence he had over us all. Yeah, he was. Ben, you talk about quotes. I've got a quote for you, and I'm going to ask you a question after it. So it's someone asked Nobby Styles, who was the best up-and-coming player at Manchester United during the 90s when he was in charge of the B team. And he says, Ben Thornley, Ben's the closest thing I've seen to George Best in all of my time at the club. Did you feel under a lot of pressure? Because those are big words to talk about a player who, who you're hoping is going to develop and make it into the first team. I'll tell you something, Sam. If I'd have heard that quote back then in the day, then I probably would feel extremely embarrassed because obviously, you know, it never got anywhere close to being that. I only that only actually came out when I was doing the autobiography. Um, it was a friend of mine whose whose father was was sitting on a table with Nobby Styles, and Matt Busby in a, a pub in in uh, in Sale called the Brook. I don't know if you know it, Maisie. Um, he was quite a regular eating with the eating with these guys, and on this particular occasion. Um, Nobby Styles was was there with with Samat and, and a couple of other dignitaries from Manchester United and and my friend's uh, dad would you know happen to be on the same table and it was a little bit like you know like one of those saloon type moments in a in a cowboy film where somebody comes in and everything just goes quiet and when somebody asked Nobby that question everything just seemed to these are his words obviously not mine uh, and I I can only liken it to I've already mentioned the, the the milk cup, and I scored a goal in that in that milk cup in in one of the group games against Hearts. So we actually went on to be in the final, um, whereby I sort of picked up the ball inside my own half and beat sort of five or six players and and slotted the ball home. And I think maybe that because it was quite soon after that that had stuck in in Nobby's mind. Obviously, he, he would have seen him firsthand. And I mean, George Best was just a you know I've never obviously got the privilege of seeing him live, but his balance and his trickery and his footwork, he was superb. So even for me to be likened to him on, on even if it's just for one occasion is something that I, I will treasure. And also, it carries some weight as well. Go on, Maisie. I thought you were going to jump in there with something. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. no I, Ben, I, I'm, I'm loving it. I am loving it. The fact that, like you say, it's come from a World Cup winner, and yeah, and that was the thing because it's I, I do think it's very, very easy. Um, and and this was one of the problems that I had with writing the book um, because there are so many people who would say, "Oh, you know, he would have done this and he would have done that," and he was. Uh, the The bottom line is, is that I didn't. But the fact that I did the book and there were players, you know, who, who everybody knows all of, all the you know the world over in the in in football, um, and that coming from like you say Nobby Styles, who you know won the, the the European Cup, what is a World Cup winner, that for me is is, is something that I will I will treasure and, and take with me for a long time because to be likened to somebody like like George Best is brilliant. But like I said, it's it. it there are stories all over the place of players that could have done this and yeah. could have done that. Yeah, but the difference is, Ben, it didn't work out for you because of an injury. 
a lot of the time it doesn't work out because of players characters or you know things like that but for you there was a reason why it didn't work out yeah I, I suppose so um I'd, I'd like to I'd like to think that um that it was the injury like it was the injury no question but it, like you said Helen it wasn't the fact that you know I became complacent and and you know I didn't need to work anymore and um, that was never going to happen as long as you were at Manchester United and as long as you had as long as you had some inbuilt character that stopped you from doing that the, the problem was that, that with the position that I played in the uh, and and the obviously the team that I was hoping to get into there's a very very fine line it, it's so minute and you have to be at the top of your game and, and in that elitist bracket and when you have an injury as as crushing as the one that happened to me uh, you you just lose that and you only need to lose it a tiny little bit and you you're not going to make it at the at the top top level so yeah it was cruel in a way but you know I'm, I I was fortunate to have a, a lot of people around me both with friends lads at the club the club itself sir alex ferguson was magnificent the the the, the coaching staff were fantastic, especially Dave Fever, who who helped me do all the rehabilitation work after the the surgery was done. So yeah, I was, and, and obviously my family, who I've already said at the, at the top of this, uh, have been incredibly supportive. And it was hard for them as well, you know, because they knew that the position that I was in before I did the injury, um, and and they they felt my heartache, if you like, they felt my pain. Uh, but I I didn't have time to sit back and and you know you know woe betides me. If I wanted to at least have a career in football, I needed to work hard. And it was in the best place to do that with the best people. So for the benefit, Ben, of people that are listening that maybe aren't entirely aware, so you made your debut. There are rumours that you were going to start in the FA Cup semi-final. And then a month later, after after your debut, you're playing a reserve game. Yeah. And then, I mean, you'll know better than anyone. So what happened? Um... As you said, I, I, I made my debut at West Ham on the 26th of February 1994, which was a, you know something that anybody asked me what the highlight was. Uh, Maisie will tell you, playing, making your debut for Man United is up there. I never won anything at Manchester United apart from that Youth Cup winner's medal um, of any note. But making your debut is something that nobody can ever take, excuse me, take away from you. So that was a special moment, and especially in an atmosphere like, like Upton Park as it was. It was... Uh, it was quite vociferous to say the least, and especially warm, warming up with Les Seeley and Les Seeley giving him abuse. And I remember, I remember, and I put it in the book. Um, some guy saying, "Oh, who's this little, you know, effing whatever it is? You know, somebody else who's going to turn out to be a nobody." <laughs> and they didn't care. You know, it was it was tough. It was tough to warm up there. But yeah, a week, a month later, as you say, Sam, or six weeks nearly. The FA Cup semi-final was looming on the Sunday against Oldham. And for the people that might be listening, it was the one that Mark Hughes scored that brilliant volley in the last minute to take it to a replay. Um, but on the, the start of that week, Sir Alex Ferguson came to me and said, you know, there's a real good chance that you're going to start the game on Sunday because Ryan's struggling and I'm not sure if I'm going to risk him. Um, but you haven't actually played for 10 days. So I need you to go out and just have an hour uh, in the reserves on, on a Wednesday night against Blackburn. So. I'm an 18-year-old kid and I'll get to that in a minute. I had no problems at all. You know, there was nothing around the corner for me that said, oh, you know, if I'm going to play on Sunday in an FA Cup semi-final, I really don't want to be, you know, like walking up the stairs or, you know, blowing my nose. And certainly I don't want to be going playing football in case anything happens. You just get on with it. So we went out. I think I'd scored two. I'd certainly, you know, had a really good game. And Jim Ryan, who was our reserve team manager at the time, 
he shouted on to me. So Alex was in the stands and obviously he passed the message down to Jim to say, you know, ask how Ben is, does he want to come off? Um, and of course, as I've already stated, I'm an 18-year-old kid. I'm running around. I'm, you know, the, the guy who's marking me, who, you know, turned out was the guy who, who did the tackle, couldn't get anywhere near me. And that must have been very frustrating. I'm an 18-year-old kid. He's a 28, 29-year-old seasoned professional. Um, and he's having the mickey taken out of him, of him, of him a little bit. And I didn't want to come off, was the bottom line. Jim Ryan said, are you OK? Do you want to come off? And I said, no, obviously. As, uh, as bad decisions go, that's definitely up there. Do you ever think about that decision, Ben? Um, Do you think, for f***'s sake, why didn't I just come off? Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, hindsight's the biggest thing, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. You know, looking... I mean, I, I don't tend to think about it as much now as I, as I you know, I perhaps did a, a good few years ago. But yeah, it, it was just a, a, a very, very simple decision that if I'd have reversed it, things could have turned out yeah. maybe a whole lot differently. So from that, you know, and it's nothing to do with the, you know, with the fame or the money or anything like that. All I ever wanted to do was play for Man United. And that was took away from you. Yeah, that was the thing that I, I regretted the most. That I, I never got a chance to fulfil the potential that I once showed. Um, and maybe, you know, not just on a on the stage that Manchester United are playing at domestically, but I, I always fancied my chances because I'd already played for England schoolboys of, of representing my country, which I did again, but only under 21 level. I, I never, I was never good enough. I was never going to ever uh, play for, for the, the national team. But if, that decision might have been reversed or I, I'd have reversed it. It was my decision. I can't blame anybody else for it. Then things might have been different, but, you know. You say you weren't good enough. What what was it that, was it just that little bit of sharpness, was it? Yeah, that, that, was, that was what it was, yeah. The, that explosive pace. Yeah, the sharpness was, was not there. Um, although the pace was, was still there, I always felt as though, there was something that was just slightly hindering me. And of course, with the, the lengthy time that you're off, I mean, believe it or not, Maisie, when I joined at 16, there was nothing of me. <laughs> well, just, just quickly, I'm, I'm going to jump in on you, Ben. For the benefit of the people uh, listening, because you've used the word, ta- you like, yeah, and I got tackled. So, I mean, I'm probably going to get this wrong because I'm not a doctor, but I've got in front of me the damage that was caused by that one tackle. And I've heard reports that the goalkeepers and stuff 60 yards away heard the snap in your knee. So it says the medial uh, collateral ligament was completely ruptured. So was the medial capsule. Both cruciate ligaments were ruptured while the medial meniscus was detached and the hamstring attachment partially torn. Like, that is so much... This isn't just like a case of someone caught you a little bit late and like you've twisted your ankle. That is so much damage. And presumably, he's trying to cause some level of damage because it's very difficult to do that if you're just trying to win the ball. Yes. Um, and, and anybody that was either there or has subsequently seen the tackle, um, any... Well, Maisie will tell you as a defender, but anybody who got a knowledge of football, where, where he actually caught me on my knee... Um, well, number one, the ball had already left my foot anyway. I'd already laid it off to Clayton Blackmore, I think it was, running up the outside. Uh, so I'd had time to go towards him, pass the ball, and then replant my foot before he actually caught me, literally about that much below my knee. Nobody tackles below the knee. Um, and I'd already mentioned to you that, you know, there was probably quite a lot of frustration being built in in him at the time. And, and he saw an opportunity and... Uh, and, and yeah, there was a lot of damage. There was a lot of damage. It was Gary Walsh, actually, who was in the goal. And, and he said he heard the snap. 
Uh, Sir Alex, who I said was in the stands, he, he knew straight away that there was a problem. And my father, who was sitting just a couple of rows in front of him, he, he sort of grabbed hold of his coat and, and they both um, head down to, to the tunnel area where obviously I was going to be brought through. So yeah, the, the, the surgeon, Jonathan Noble, who again, I've got to get, give a, a huge amount of credit and thanks to for the job that he did in repairing all the damage you've just been quoting, Sam. Uh, but he, he said in all his years of, um, and he was the president of the UK knee surgeons as well. So, he, he, you know, he was well respected. And um, unfortunately for me, he was who Manchester United used and he was based in Manchester. And he said that he likened it to a case of putting a book on its spine and just watching all the pages fan out. He said, that was that was what your knee was. And basically, there was nothing left, which ironically made his job of repairing it a lot easier because he didn't have to go through any fibres because there were none left attached. He could just basically start from scratch. But obviously, the prognosis after the operation, even though it went well, wasn't good for me um, still being able to maintain a chance of being a professional footballer. Did he ever apologise? No. No, not personally. And, and as far as I'm aware, not through the club either. I did get an apology from the club, but it didn't, it didn't come from, from high up. I think it came from the chief scout, but it was certainly, it was never, um, I never got a, a, a personal apology, no. Were you at Blackburn at that time, Maisie? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember people talking about that? I, rem- I, I remember it vaguely. How old would you have been then? I'd have been 24. But I played with Nicky and it was... I think, I mean, I would never, ever defend anybody doing what he did, but being old school professionals and being a senior pro and old, the last thing you want is a young whippersnapper taking the out of you. You say about him being the old senior professional, think about it now, he's what, 28? I, I, I get that, like, but... There's, there's no good the, excuse when, for that, is there? No, 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 there's no excuse. There isn't, but... In them days, you would always try to... You, you, you was able to kick centre-forward, wingers, two or three times without getting a booking. And I'm not taking any... You know, to me, Nicky was a, was a nice lad. But, you know, when I speak to Ben now and I hear about the tackle, you know, there's just... There's no excuse for it. But being a senior pro and him having the p***ing out of him by Ben... That's what that's what people used to do. They used to try and slow people down, but you know it's just horrific. To if Ben had the ball at his feet, then fair enough maybe. But the fact that the ball's gone and you're like I don't know half a second late, which is which is huge in any football match. It's so late, you know. It, it's just it's disgusting. It really is. And then you, you end up going to court, didn't you, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, they were just trial and erroring at the time. Um, video in reserve matches they hadn't done it up until I think it was that season so it was it was caught on camera and Sir Alex was was adamant that it was something that they they should pay for especially because he saw me as somebody that yeah, yeah. might have you know played in his first team for I don't know eight five eight ten years whatever it may have been but certainly somebody that was that was looking to to be given his chance and um, and like I said, he, he was just incredible throughout. He was so supportive. Even just on a human level, though, not just the fact that he saw the potential in you on a human level to see somebody do that to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, it's disgusting. You want to fight for that person, don't you? Yeah, I suppose there is always that. And obviously he had the, he had the benefit of, um, of the, uh, the video cassette that he could play. And uh, it, because he was obviously 
heavily involved with it. He um, he had me in his office at a certain time after the injury to to go through it with me while the court proceedings were were going ahead. And uh, and it, it, he would just watch the video and without even speaking to me, he'd be watching the video and you you could see in his mind that he was trying to watch it from an angle that didn't look bad. But, yeah. And, it, it, he just couldn't do it. He just sat there shaking his head, and and I think that he, you know, the, the surgeon, and it was it was a nice thing for me to hear. But again, I didn't hear it until I'd done my book. That when I had the, the chat with with Jonathan Noble, my surgeon, who who did the piece for me book, he said that I, you know, I spoke regularly because Sir Alex used to ring me at whatever time of night and you know see how I was and 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 how me you know my progress was going and what he thought, and and he said to me. All I can describe Sir Alex Ferguson as was a concerned uncle, which was great for me to hear, you know, and it goes back to what you've just said, Helen, about yeah. him on a on a humane level. It's not just the fact that he saw potential in me. It was the fact that somebody on a football field could do that to somebody Yay. else and, and mean it. Oh, that's the horrible thing. Yeah, he cared about you as a person. Yeah, but but I, I think it's probably worth saying for on this podcast, like we've laughed at stories of Robbo smashing people for someone like Lee Sharp because maybe he wasn't physical enough to do it himself. And we hear those stories of Robbo coming in and flattening people and we think that's brilliant. But I suppose that's why the game is, I mean, people will call it softer now, but I suppose that's why. Yeah, he, 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 Brian Robson's done that for me as well when, uh, when somebody from Oldham sort of scraped the the studs down down the side and, and caused some a right mess and he, he he moved me to one side and he said right you know just leave me over here for five minutes type thing and uh, I know that he's done it on plenty of occasions to Giggsy and there'll be countless players where he said you know and that was why I loved Brian Robson and obviously I didn't know about that when I started playing football but uh, it's it's great that I'm a I'm a decent judge of character because he he looked after everybody. I think I think the thing though when you look at robo tackling. Robbo would always seem to get the ball as well, though. Yeah. And the man. Yeah. And that's that's where you think, yeah, that's a great tackle. And even now when you when I see defenders go in and they do get the ball and the player, I think that's a great tackle. Yeah. But he didn't even get anything. He just got the middle of your leg and that was yeah. it. Yeah. Did you watch the footage back straight after or was that too difficult for you? Not straight after, no. I um, I had to watch it. Uh, again for the court proceedings because when when you when you're actually going actually through it in your mind it probably looks a little bit different than you imagined when you see it again on the on camera mm-hmm. um and the, actually the the last time that I saw it was was when I was doing the book a, a, a couple of years ago but I, I you know I don't really want to I didn't really want to stir it up. I, I, I had to. I watched it because I had to, not because I was. I was interested to see what it, what it was like. But I, you know, it, it was something that that ruined my career, if you like. So yeah. I suppose I, I wanted to know what it, what it looked like from the outside. What did your teammates say at the time? Because you're probably going to be humble, but the likes of Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, David Beckham, they all put you in higher esteem than themselves. So for them to see that happening to you, they must have thought this is a key part of, you know, our future success is seriously injured. Yeah, I suppose they did. Yeah, I suppose they did. And and I've already mentioned the the, the number of people that I had around me and, and my teammates were one. Um, I, I, and I can't even single any of them out because they were all so, so brilliant. And, and again, like the manager, they were, they were devastated, like my family, they were devastated for me mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they realised that, like you said, 
we, you know, we could have gone on a little bit of a journey together. And, and right at that moment, my journey with them and with Manchester United and, and any chance of playing in the first team on a regular basis was over. Uh, and I think they, they, felt, they felt for me with that. But listen, and I've always said it to anybody that I ever speak to about these lads that I grew up with, no matter what happened to me, they were always going to be top players. And there, there, is, there is nobody more, uh, more sort of, I don't know, over the moon, if you like, with, with the amount that these guys went on to win. I was in, um, I was in uh, Barcelona for the, for the 99 final. And when they all turned up at the hotel, you know, I, I was at the front of the queue waiting to congratulate them because I, 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 I can't, well, they can't, they couldn't have helped what had happened to me. But the, the brilliant thing for me was that I played with such great lads, great players, um, and they went, they went on to fulfil the potential that they, they were always going to do anyway, regardless of, of my plight. This is my fourth podcast. I'm crying again. <laughs> uh, I just think it's. I've heard this story before, but I just. I don't know. It's when you hear it from the arse's mouth, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's the way you talk about it, Ben. It just makes me really emotional. Oh, sorry, Helen. It made me cry. <laughs> one of the um, one of the producers just sent me it, the the clip of of the tackle, uh, Ben. So I've just watched it, and I've not seen it before. Okay. And not only. Is it genuinely horrific to watch? But prior to it, your movement is lovely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, do you know what? I can't. I, I can't remember it now. I can't remember it now. But um, yeah, there was um, there was something there, Sam. At one yeah, well, yeah. And you only, you only touched the ball up four times, but you can see it. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you the I'll give you the choice. If, if it's totally up to you, we can we can watch it if you want to see it because we can put it on the screen so we can all see it. No. Uh, or if you don't, we could just we'll just forget about it and we'll move on. No, I'd rather not see it, mate. I, I'm listen. I I don't think the the viewers would would want to see it, uh, and you, I'm sure that if they wanted to, they they can find it. But you know, we're having a we're having a nice time. Apart from Helen. This <laughs> is lockdown. This is the fourth podcast of Korea. All right. In that case, what we should say is that despite suffering a genuinely horrific injury, you still had a career. That wasn't the end. No, it wasn't the end. No. Um, the, the hard work that I put in with the support that I got and the, the, the expert knowledge of, of the people that were involved with that. Dave Fever, who I've already mentioned, he, he came across that summer, actually, from Wigan Rugby League. And he'd, he'd seen knee reconstructions and stuff and, and brought people back with the rehabilitation side of it. And he was, he was fantastic. In fact, he, he made that when the other lads were doing pre-season. Obviously, I did my knee in the April. And then you come back and even in Manchester, no matter what, pre-season, it's always red hot. And you're stuck, Maisie will remember it, you're stuck in the, the, the downstairs gym at the cliff. The windows are high up. Yeah. All you can hear is the, the pitter-patter of feet, you know, all going out to training. And that, from time to time, was difficult. And it was dark, quite literally dark. And, and that was hard. But Dave Fever was, uh, w- was absolutely brilliant. I, o- I owe him a lot. And he's a super guy as well. Again, Maisie knows yeah. him. Super yeah. guy. And, and uh, when, I, when I managed to get out, actually, onto the cliff surface, um, he, he just he, he got rid of everybody out of the, the, the treatment room, what, the, anybody that needed strappings. And he just focused on me. And, um, and he, was, he was superb. Absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I, I did play the odd number of games for Man United, but it quickly became apparent 
that I just wasn't up to that level. And and I wouldn't be somebody that Sir Alex would consider playing me on a regular basis. You know, I, I would come on as, you know, the odd sub-appearance or I might play in the odd cup match or what have you. But I think that to further my career, it was, um, it was apparent that when I got to 23, I needed to move on. And then I uh, I had three 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 years at Huddersfield, a couple of years at Aberdeen, played for Blackpool, played for Bury, played with my brother at, at Witten Albion as well, which was which was a, a nice little story to finish off with. So and obviously played with Maisie at Baycup Borough, which was a right scream. So, <laughs> so uh, listen, I, I do I have regrets? Yeah, I have regrets at some of the things that I did post injury when I was playing at different clubs uh, that I, you know, stuff that I, I know that I should have done better and, and been more professional. But in terms of, you know, where I'm at, at my life in the mo- at the moment, I, I'm, I'm very happy. I've got a lot of friends. I've got a lot of contacts. I love doing what I'm doing. And yes, things could have been different football-wise, but then, you know, a lot of people have had a lot worse luck than me. I feel like you just wrapped up the rest of the podcast for us. Yeah, cheers for that, Ben. We're going to have to put that at the end. <laughs> uh, ben, I do have a question for you. Regardless of what happened afterwards, what did it feel like when you got back on the pitch for the first time against West Ham? Because it must have been such a long road from from being injured to then getting back and playing for Manchester United. That must have felt great. It did. Um, I never thought when I saw what damage and heard about the damage that had, had been done to my knee. Uh, I, I never thought that that I was probably going to play football again, never mind uh, play for Manchester United. So I suppose it was like having your debut all over again. It was, it was you know, it was fantastic to, to still be considered to be good enough to turn out for Manchester United, even after such a horrific injury. And really, I, I, I perhaps didn't deserve it I'm not saying the talent wasn't still there, but being able to bring it to the fore was was proving much more difficult. Um, and I knew that that it was it was going to have to lie elsewhere. But being able to turn out for Manchester United on the handful of occasions that I did after making my debut in 1994 again was uh, was brilliant. And it's something that I, you know, playing for Man United every time you turn out is something that, that any any Man United player will tell you they, they, they cherish because it's such a fantastic club and it was a wrench to leave. Um, we've recently done a podcast um, with Lee Sharp and we talked a lot about, you know, nowadays there's psychologists in the game and it's quite common, isn't it, for players? Um, back then, Lee Sharp said that's something that he would have benefited from. Did you have any support like that would that have been a bit of a taboo to have support like that back then? Or how did you cope with things psychologically? No, I did actually. They um they asked me, you know, how I was how I was feeling mentally. And yeah, there will have been days when I I, I just felt, you know, I, I wasn't getting anywhere, nothing was happening. Um and the manager was brilliant like that because he said, Listen, to get back from the injury that you've got, you need to be fully focused. So if you are going through a little bit of a spell where things are not going going well, come and see me. Go and see Dave Fever and and tell him. Tell you know, just say you could do with a couple of days away from the training ground because I was on my own for quite a lot of the time, and uh, and it helped me to sort of recharge and refresh. But they did give me the opportunity to go and see somebody at, uh, at Staffordshire University who was just starting to get into the, the clinical psychology of, of sport and, and seeing how it has adverse effects on you and how it can. 
Um, I only went a handful of times because I, I felt as though at 18 years of age, I, I perhaps wasn't getting enough out of it. Um, you know, my brain hadn't hadn't really sort of mm-hmm. tuned into what I was supposed to be doing and what I was supposed to be listening to and and what questions I was supposed to be asking. So I only went a couple of times before I, I thought, you know, I, I I need to deal with this by myself and and with the people that I've got around me. But yeah, I, I do feel as though you know when when you hear that there's been you know suicides in the game, people going off the rails with you know maybe drink or. You know, however, however, sort of ropeally it turns out for for ex players, I think that having a support network of people that can you know be able to speak to you and 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 get through on a on a psychological basis is um, is massively helpful. Ben, having uh, spent time with you in close quarters, like when we lived in our little train and went to Kazakhstan, <laughs> I happen to know that you are a very cheery guy and can be incredibly cheery in the bleakest of circumstances. What were you like in the dressing room? I'd like to think that I was pretty much the same. I mean, don't get me wrong, we had jokers and I was different to Maisie in the dressing room. But yeah, I I, I wasn't... Uh, people say that I'm bad-tempered and Maisie's one of them. And I can be on the field, no question, but I'll say... Sam, yeah. we spent four days on a train going to Kazakhstan with him. Yeah. How angry, how angry does he get? <laughs> His snaps are the, the tiniest little thing. Only at you. He didn't even eat for three days. What he wanted was a nice plate of plov, and he couldn't get enough of it. Love. But he, I don't know, I thought he loved, I thought he was great company. Uh, hey, I would, uh, if I had one person to spend on a desert island, it'd be him. Aww. I, 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 I love the guy. He's brilliant. Absolutely great company. And we end up peeing ourselves laughing at stupid things. And those four days for the four of us camped in a little five by six foot little shack on a train going 30 mile an hour through deepest Russia I wouldn't have have had another person to spend with them Dan it was brilliant but he's angry he only ever snapped at you he didn't get angry with anybody else (laughs) he's so aggressive he's so aggressive what all you have to do is just watch the morning shows and you see what he's like anything just just angry. He is. Angry little ferret. What, what, what makes you angry, Ben, in life? Anything. Uh, just a slap. Driving. I thought you were going to say amazing. Driving, right. Oh, uh, driving. What, you're driving? No, no. Or well, some people might say, my, my, my missy <laughs> said, I drive too close to people. And I'm not, an, and I'm not a fast driver. I've been banned when I, you know, very soon. After. <laughs> oh, so what I, a brag. I, I, I know that I, do, I, I don't want to lose my license again, so I drive normally. But right. some of the, the I can only I can pull out of my driveway, and within fifty yards, I'm having a go at somebody in a car for doing something. There you go. I've got 50 no yards. I've got no patience whatsoever. It's not even, not even out of second gear, and he's arguing. No, no patience. Angry, but, angriest man ever. I would say that that is that is really the only thing that. Um, that really grinds my gears is 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 bad drivers. Gears, I like that. I like you. Yeah, yeah, you like that. I like that too. Second gear. Right. Should we go back to football? What about referees? I don't like them either. <laughs> <laughs> I always had to make friends with a referee so that I got a little bit of leeway on the pitch because I knew I was going to get booked. <laughs> When uh, when you left United, was that your decision or did your contract run out or how did that how did that go? 
I think it was the 95-96 season, I went on loan to Stockport and then I went on loan to Huddersfield from the start of the year start of 96 to the end of the season. And that was when I got selected to play for, for the under-21s in the Toulon tournament. So, uh, and Bex was in the same team as well. So, you know, I really enjoyed that. And it was that summer after I'd left Huddersfield, I thought, I can do this. You know, and maybe, you know, the top of the championship, the bottom of the Premier League, I, I might have found my level. You know, the fans took to me. I really enjoyed the lads I was playing with. I was playing on a regular basis in a game that actually meant something, you know. I mean, there's no disrespect to reserve team football, but when you're playing in front of a crowd and these fans are actually coming to see that particular team and want them to win, then you, you can feel the difference in, in the atmosphere surrounding, you know, in the, in the, inside the ground. And I went to see the manager and he was aware that, that Brian Horton, who was the manager at the time, he wanted to buy me on a permanent basis after, after the six months that I'd had there on loan. And the manager didn't want to let me go. I, I look back now and I think that if, if I'd have been a bit stronger and you know, sitting across from Alex Ferguson is quite a, is quite a daunting sort of uh, thing to, to have to go through at times, um, even when he's not having a go at you, trust me. It's very intimidating. But he just said, I don't want you to go yet. I want you to stay. And, and I probably let my heart rule my head. My heart obviously wanted to stay with Man United and that's duly what I did. But I think I let, I let Sir Alex talk me into it a little bit too easily. Um, and it would have been nice to have, you know, to have been at Huddersfield on, and maybe moved on elsewhere uh, for those extra two years. But, you know... I, I'm not complaining. I had another two years at Man United and uh, and I think that when I got to the end of my contract in 1998, even though he was prepared to offer me another two years, I think he realised that at 23, I needed to play regular first-team football and he was uh, he was ever so accommodating and, and wrote a, a fantastic letter that, that, again, is in the book and he's always given me any help that I, I, I've ever asked of him and uh, and like I said, just a, a fantastic bloke, but I needed to go. I needed to move. And uh, and I went to Huddersfield where I, I had a great time. If anyone's out there who actually keeps thinking about Ben mentioning the book, you, you have actually brought a book out, haven't you, Ben? Can you tell us what it's about? Uh, it was... Um, it just was might as well get, get that in there, free yeah, advertising, you know, Ben. Yeah. yeah, you know I mentioned it, so we might as well let people know it's yeah. available. Yeah, all good bookshops. <laughs> it was in... Uh, 2017 uh, uh, the guy who ended up writing the book with me I split my time between where I live in Essex and, and Manchester and I go through Euston Station a lot and he used to pass through Euston as well and he was a big United fan and started following the class of 92 all those years ago and there was a couple of things that he wanted uh, that he would like signed by a, a few players he was missing and I was one of them so he wrote to me at the club and he said I've seen you passing through Euston Station uh, would you mind if we met up? I've got such and such a, a thing that I'd, I'd like you to sign. So as I always do, no problem. I met up with him, had a cup of coffee and, you know, we had a bit of a chat about what he did and, and about a little bit about football. And as he walked away, a light bulb come on in his head and it he, he caused him to ring me and say, listen, have you ever thought about doing a book? And I said, no. I couldn't think of anything that was further from my radar than, than writing a book because at the end of the day, I I played for Man United, but I, I wasn't a megastar. I, I didn't really have a, any reason to believe that anybody would be interested in, in, in my story. But he came at it from the angle where he said, listen, you know, I followed your career. 
Um, I know the lads that you played with. I know the lads you've made you play, played your debut with. Maybe we could approach it from the angle whereby we could get them to have half an hour, an hour with me or with you and just talk about you. And he said, you'll be surprised at how much, you know, how much respect and weight it would carry with the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson, David Beckham and Ryan Giggs and Brian Robson, you know, all of which, all of whom I should say, you know, did give up a little bit of time to, to speak to Dan. And, and we went from there. It took about a year to do. And he just thought that it was a, it was a, a slightly, no, I won't say more interesting, but a, a different way of, of doing an yeah. autobiography. You know, you read autobiographies and obviously they've got a start, a middle and an end. Whereas mine sort of jumped about a little bit because he brought in the appropriate people for, for what it was we were talking about. And, and he, he wrote it brilliantly, I must admit. He did write it brilliantly. Whether you actually enjoyed the book or not is... is um, uh, is a different story but the way that he wrote it and the way that he incorporated the players into it at, at certain times was uh, was great and I I, I mean you, you don't get rich writing books and I didn't do it for the money I, did, I didn't even think about doing it at all and, and never would but he convinced me that it was uh, it was something you know you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained sort of thing um, and it was quite a cathartic exercise for me as well helped me put aside a, you know a lot of sort of maybe excess baggage that I was carrying around with me upstairs. And the people that have come back and the people that have read it have, have you know, seem to have, have really enjoyed it. And that was the main aim for me, that if I was going to write a book, then, yeah, obviously I'd like people to read it. But moreover than that, I'd, I'd like people to, to enjoy it. Hell, I only asked you to give us a little f***ing clipping about it. You spoke the last 15 minutes about it. <laughs> Ben, in all seriousness, though, there can't be many players who have wrote a book whose career didn't make it to the, you know, as you say, the stardom at Manchester United. But that is incredible for you. And it says a lot about you and, you know, you as a person and people interested in your story that the, the book was so, so popular, and you know, amongst Manchester United fans, amongst other fans as well. Yeah. It's a brilliant book. It's, um... it's a bit boring when everybody just goes through the same process and wins loads of trophies anyway. Helen, have you read the book? Yes, I have. Ah, uh, there's some stories in there. Brilliant. There's some stories in there. <laughs> but Ben, that must make you proud. It does. It does, yeah. Um, because it, it's something that I can say, like when I did the marathon in 2018, I, I couldn't think of anything worse than running 26 miles. <laughs> but I got the opportunity to to do it through a friend of mine from down here for a charity. And I thought, well, if I was just managed to get in through a ballot and I decided not to do it, then it doesn't matter. But if I'm doing it for a charity, then I'm letting people down. So it was something that I went through with that was miles away from what I thought I would ever do. And the book was the same thing. It was something that I, I was convinced into going into because of the way that it was going to be written. And I'm not sorry that I did now. But yeah, it does make me very proud because I'm I'm not somebody that, that would jump out of the page at you and say, oh, Ben Thornley's got an autobiography, I must read that. But I think that if they actually, certainly Man United fans anyway, if they did sort of take the trouble to to either listen to somebody who's read it and pick it up themselves, they, they would find it. Um, and I'm not I'm not here promoting it, by the way. It's been out for two years, but they would find it a, a different autobiography to, to others that they've read, and certainly they would be interested in the comments from from the likes of Paul Scholes and Sir Alex. And yeah. there's you know 40, 45, 50 odd players in there, 
um, that I I had the the privilege of of playing with and growing up with and being in the same team as, and they were extremely kind to give up their time to help me along the way. And yeah, that does make me proud that that anybody that I asked said yes, they would help. And yeah, that does make me very proud. So it is a fantastic book. Uh, ben, you did mention previously that you have. I think you said you've got some regrets. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I should have been when I went to Aberdeen, especially. I should have been concentrating on trying to, because uh, I was only 26, 27. I should have been concentrating on getting myself back to a level where I could get back down to England and I could play at a decent level again. But I was on my own up in Aberdeen and I had an apartment to myself and I got into the going out all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was basically what I did. You know, even though I was playing, I was drinking, you know, I was drinking far too much and going out at the wrong times. And, uh, and at times when I, you know, perhaps like in an afternoon when I should have been maybe doing extra in the gym or doing extra with with uh, some of the fitness coaches, I'd just go and meet a, a, a few lads from who I'd met while I'd, in my time that I'd been up there. And I'd just go in the pub and I'd be in the pub for seven, eight hours and then I'd get up and I'd go and train the next day. And that went on for far too long. And that is a massive regret that I have had because all the chances that, that I had at Manchester United and that they were taken away from me, I needed to, to sort of get a grip of myself and say, listen, you know, you're still only 26, 27. You still got a chance here of, of, of being able to, to play at a, a really decent level. That's no disrespect to Aberdeen. I played against Celtic. I played against Rangers when they had great teams. But I, I knew that there was still something in me that could get me back to, you know, top of the championship level and, and back into England. And I just, I just didn't work hard enough. And that was a, that was a big regret of mine. And, and, before I realised it, it was too late. Do you think you did that, Ben, because of the last two or three years prior being injured and stuff? Not so much to feel sorry for yourself, but do you know what? I can't be asked, sort of thing. Do you know what, Maisie? I think there was a little bit of that. I think there was a little bit of that. I said that, you know, I I I I didn't really I didn't really sit around and feel sorry for myself because there was no point and it would just make me a very, very sort of bitter person. Mm-hmm. Um and rather than sort of you know, look at the world through dark glasses and, and you know, want to be horrible to everybody. I think the way that I dealt with it, and it, I'm not saying it's the, it was the wrong way too, but how I dealt with it was was by surrounding myself with loads of people I could go out and have a laugh and a drink with. Yeah. And I think subconsciously, I was sort of letting off quite a lot of steam and perhaps feeling sorry for myself a little bit. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to deny that. But like I said, rather than, Rather than be bitter and twisted, I, you know, I wanted to go completely the other way and, and just go out and enjoy myself all the time. And neither are the right way to be. As Robbie Williams says, no regrets, they don't work. Very true. Um, I, I didn't, I, I wanted, the one thing that doing the book is that I wanted to be honest. Yeah. Everything had to be up and above board, the, the good stuff and the bad. So the regrets, they're only small and I certainly don't have them now. Uh, but at the time, that was something that I should have done better. One of the positive things, uh, Ben, is that later on in your life, you got to meet all of us. Absolutely. Through your punditry. It's always a pleasure. Whichever <laughs> one of you or two of you or all of you that I see on various different occasions on match days, it's always uh, it's always great fun. And, uh, and I've missed you all. We've missed you too. You must really enjoy the punditry as well because you're, you know, you've got somebody who's got such a story to tell. You can see it from all angles. I love doing it. Um, I'm really grateful to, you know, to to all the the chances that I've been given for MUTV and 
And, it, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, it's great doing the first team uh, and that's, you know, that's w- what you want to be doing. But I, I equally enjoy doing the youth team uh, because I can identify with, mm-hmm. with how solidly they take it in Manchester United. It really does mean a lot winning the Youth Cup. And of course, before we broke, we were, you know, the lads had got themselves into the semi-final. Obviously, the women have, have come into it now as well. I don't mind a, across the across the board. I, I really enjoy doing the punditry. I enjoy working with the people that I work with, no matter who it may be. And yeah, if, if we're winning matches as well, then it makes it all the better. Ben, you've already sorted us out some guests. Obviously, we've already mentioned Ryan Giggs. Yeah. Who do you think, though, would have really good stories that we should get on? What about Keith Gillespie? Did he have, would he have? Uh, yeah, yeah, Keith's great. Yeah, if you've not had Keith on, Keith, Keith's got some good stories. Mm. Yeah, Keith's got some good stories. I would, straight away, I would have said Sharpie, but you've already had him on because I know Sharpie's got some good stories as well, but certainly Keith will be, will be good banter, yeah? Perfect. All right, um, Ben, thank you so much. Been an absolute pleasure, guys. It's lovely to see you. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Cheers, Tony. Thanks for coming on and uh, enjoy your bike. Yes, I will do. Yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> See you. Later, Ben. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Helen, another emotional podcast for you. I know. I think that's the fourth one I've cried. Ben's story. I've heard it lots of times. I've known Ben for quite a few years, but I think it made me emotional thinking that he's not bitter for a start and how hard it must have been for him. So that was the first thing that made me emotional. And secondly, to make it lighthearted, I'm emotional about my bike. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's so funny. His brother's absolutely conned him. Can you believe that I gave Rod Thornley a bike and he sold it to his brother, who I know. Like, did he never think that story was going to pop up between us? Yeah. For a hundred quid. And my bike lives in Essex. I was actually going to phone him the other day and say, Rod, do you know that bike I gave you? Do you want it? I would have actually bought it back off him. That'd be brilliant. Even if you just say, can I have my bike back? The fact that he's actually sold it to his brother makes it even more awkward. <laughs> I can't wait to tell Johnny this. I actually can't. Anyway, enough about my bike. Nobody cares about my bike, but we do care about just, Ben's just story. Just ask for it back. <laughs> ask for it back. Ben's story. It was incredible listening to it. Yeah. It's amazing he's not He's not more bitter or not more, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, resentful. The, the fact that he still involves himself so deeply with football because a lot of people could think this, could be so upset about what had happened to them and feel that it was so unfair they just want nothing to do with it anymore. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, I've never ever had a, an injury like that. When he explains it, how bad it was, then you realise, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, And to even come back yeah. and to even start playing football, to get running and never even to mention the fact that you're playing professional football is... Is a remarkable thing and shows great character from him as well and great strength. Yeah, because a lot of play, a lot of people, a lot of players would have just probably just give up. It's one of those weird things where, so he he played fourteen times for Manchester United and like when I was a kid, if you told me I, I could achieve that, it would have been everything to me to think that I could play football for Manchester United. But he did it. He did it fourteen times, and that's that's my that's my childhood dream. Fourteen times achieved. But it still seems so cruel and unfair. That's all he got. Yeah. Because unlike him, I had no talent. Yeah, so 14 would be an achievement for you, but he probably could have went on and made 400. I was just going to say, yeah. That's it, isn't it? You think, you think on the one hand, he actually did something that millions of people would love to do. And it seems so unfair that that's all he got. Mm. It's a really weird situation where he's managed to do something that people want to do, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he had a fair chance at it. I think what Helen just said there... The fact that he's probably had three or four hundred games potentially taken away from him at playing for Manchester United. 
Yeah, during the club's most successful yeah. period with yeah. the most successful teams. I mean, he left left in '98. That season, we, you know, we're going to win the treble. Yeah, looking at the way he is, and you know, he's in a happy place now, and he must be really grateful. I mean, the club have always been fantastic with ex-players, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he, he's doing a fantastic job now at MUTV. Mm-hmm. But it's always a case of, but what if? Yeah. Well, we hope you like that one, everyone. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Apart from crying, but yeah, what's new? Yeah, apart from the crying. Should we, should we do some emails? Yep, let's do it. Uh, I've got one from Sam, so I'll go straight in with that. Uh, it's hello from Sydney, Australia. Love the show. Favourite podcast has been Berbatov. Sounded as classy and cool as he was on the pitch. Next guest, all night, Dwight York. He also played for Sydney FC. Glory, glory, Man United from Sam. Cheers, Sam. We'll go, we can go for Dwight York. He'd be good. Oh, he would be good. Get in contact with him. Liam uh, Kerwin says, Hi, podcast team. My name is Liam and I'm from Ireland. I love Manchester United. I kept checking to see if there was a Manchester United podcast, but in vain until this, I listen to the pod every week, either when I'm painting the doors in our house or walking and running. I'm 13 years old and hope that someday I will play for Manchester United. I find the podcasts very inspiring and it gives me an insight into what is uh, being a soccer player I would love to see Roy Keane David Beckham Gary Neville and Waza on the podcast as I think they could give a very detailed talk on how hard you have to work to become a football player thanks again Liam Oh, I hope your dream comes true Liam I love that Liam did the full names but then went Waza yeah <laughs> uh, I've got one from Jakub who says dear podcast team thank you for an amazing show really a pleasure hearing from the heroes of the past as well as some of today's players Please, please, please try to interview Andre Konchelskis. He's a fan favourite for so many of us who grew up in the 90s and I'm sure he'll have some great stories, including the demolition derby hat-trick. He's also one of the few players to have played for both us and City. I think Owen Hargreaves and Carlos Tevez are the only other ones recently to have done that. It'd also be cool to have Johnny Evans and Kasper Schmeichel on together. Roy Keane would also be amazing. Thanks, Jakub in South Africa. Thank you. Phil Saunders Sanders says, Hi Helen, Maisie and Sam have absolutely loved every single podcast. The only negative is I've now listened to them all and can't wait a week for the next one. Brilliant to get an insight into each player's journey through their careers and to hear the different stories is a real joy. Fills me with nostalgia at remembering some of my best footballing memories. Keep up the good work. Can I recommend you getting Dennis Law on the podcast? It would be a fascinating story on one of our best ever goal scorers. Also as my late father's favourite player. Law has always reminded me of him and it would be special to listen to his story. Every time we used to watch United, if a player missed a chance, my dad without fail would say, Law would have finished that one, uh, which did get a bit tedious hearing that five times every game. Uh, cheers all, stay safe, Phil. Do you know that's one person I have never met and I've uh, worked at Manchester United for 10 years? I was literally about to say, have you interviewed him? Never, in 10 years, never met him. And do you know what, when I moved over here, my dad gave me a photo of my brother meeting Dennis Law at a Man United School of Excellence when my brother was about 10. And my dad said to me, get that signed if you ever meet Dennis Law. And I actually found it yesterday and I thought, still haven't met Dennis Law 10 years later. Wow. Maisie, have you met him? Only to shake hands and to say hello, that was it. Never any conversation with him, no. I've seen him at Old Trafford, but I've not spoken to him. I think he'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. We need to do that. Yeah, all right. We'll, we'll try and get Dennis Law. That's one to work on. Yeah. Yeah. I've just, I, I, I just texted Yorkie to see if uh, he wants to do one next week, so. Oh, good work, Maisie. You know, always... You've just texted us. You texted our podcast group. I know. I've just copied you in. I've copied you in, guys. All right. You're just showing us what you texted. Come on, Bells. Always thinking outside the box. I know. You're, listen, you're one <laughs> step ahead of the game, Maisie. I know. <laughs> what about the Johnny Evans podcast? You actually live with him. Do you know what? We're leaving that for a week when we can't get anyone. <laughs> 
that good, eh? <laughs> and it'll be a family episode because we'll have no babysitter. <laughs> Carnage Evans. I did get, uh, someone did, someone sent me a tweet saying, uh, just when lockdown started, it was like, I'm sure it'll be difficult to keep the podcast going. But if you can't get Johnny Evans during this, you need to rearrange the stuff. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it usually has to be one or the other doing it, but yeah. we'll, we'll sort it out someday. We'll get Johnny on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from on future episodes, why don't you get in touch like everyone else has? Go to unitedpodcast.go to, but email us, unitedpodcast at manunited.co.uk. That address is in the show notes if you need it. And as always, we really appreciate it if you could rate and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time. Bye. Bye.